This is a true story. Years ago, I had just gotten over an accident that had left me with amnesia for a couple of months. I was feeling better again. I started living in this little place alone in a a really rural area. I needed that personal space. I got me a dog, much like I kind of did two years ago when I came back home from New York. But family was nowhere close by. I was way out, and I ended up really bonded to this dog. His name was Kane. Kane was incredible, a beautiful, full-blooded husky, and he could run free through the area, or so I thought. Over the hill lived my landlord. I couldn't see her house from where I was. I couldn't see anybody, so I had no idea where any neighbors actually were. Now, Kane would be gone all day, running through the woods, up and down mountains, and I'd call him at sunset, and he'd come home the minute he heard my voice. He was always within ear range whenever it was time for me to call. Always. He never missed a beat. But there was one night that he didn't come home. Now, my landlord, the woman over the hill, She had recently taken back an abusive ex-husband that she had previously complained about. I have no idea why, but she did. And he had been eyeballing my dog and hiking closer and closer to my house on my side of the property. He had been coming around the yard. He had been looking through my windows. I caught him looking through my windows. Always acting kind of peeping Tomish or... In some way, that that made me just not trust this man. He was watching Cain, and he would watch him in the weirdest way. And then he'd go turn around and go back to his side of the property. It was getting weird. And I was still recovering from amnesia, so my mind still wasn't too sharp. I wasn't on my game. I took an old flashlight and started out into the dark, looking for Cain. I'd call and I'd immediately hear a howl way off in the distance. It was a good, strong howl. I knew he heard me. Why wasn't he coming home? There was something wrong. I walked further and further away from the house in the dark. I was trying to follow his voice. I'd call. I'd hear him howl back. I felt like I was getting closer. I couldn't give up. Somebody had my dog. I knew it. Kane didn't sound hurt. He sounded like he couldn't get loose from somewhere. So I walked and I walked faster and further away. I couldn't see my porch light anymore. It was pitch black except for this weak, cheap flashlight I'd gotten from a dollar store in town. And I couldn't even remember how long ago I'd used it last. He howled again. He was close. I didn't know where I was exactly, but this was my dog. I couldn't make myself go back home. I remember it was fall, and I had a jacket on, and it was chilly, but my adrenaline was going so hard that my hand was sweating, and my flashlight was slick against it. I called him again. He howled. It sounded further away. That didn't make sense. Did I go in a circle? I turned around real quick and slung my flashlight around me. Where was I? Where was this place? How far did I get from the house? I noticed the flashlight started to fade. 
Uh-oh, it was pure black out here, and once that light goes out, I'm not going to see a thing. I couldn't. I couldn't see the moon, nothing. And then Kane stopped howling. I felt something. I froze for a minute. I lifted the flashlight and shook it to try to make it work, make it get brighter. It was dying. As I moved it in front of me and looked, I saw the end of a long tail that was about three feet higher than the ground that curved upwards just a little bit at the end. I felt a knot in my stomach as I moved the flashlight over the body, shoulders, and then saw the shiny eyes of a cougar looking me dead in the face. I didn't want to call out. I didn't want to do anything but freeze. It gave me time to think. I was still holding my flashlight, but that precious light was slowly going out. It was barely there. The dark was closing in on me. I backed up. I started back towards the house really slow, but every time I'd shake that light and try to get it to come back on, I'd see the cougar. She was starting to get closer to me, and soon she started making her way ahead of me and stopping and waiting for me to catch up to her, and she would be closer every time I spotted her again. I realized I was being stalked, and she was very focused on me, and I was tired and still recovering from my accident, so I was limping that night, and there I was, this limping, small human in the dark by herself, too slow to run, an easy target. Cougars don't attack people that often, but I knew this one was about to. I knew it. And so I started acting big, started yelling out like I was a dog. I couldn't think of anything else to do. And stomping my feet and making a lot of noise. And out of nowhere, kind of like a dream, some other dog. A neighbor's maybe? This big yellow retriever came running up and just appeared out of nowhere, started jumping around with me and walked all the way back home with me. So I made it back just in time for that flashlight to completely die. I saw the light from my front porch, and I was able to see my way home. This is Natural and Wild with Christine Grayson. I'm a storyteller and a lover of nature. Let's have a beverage together, and I'll talk about my crazy epiphanies and outlandish ideas from living out in the wilderness. This episode may not be for the faint of heart. It touches on some serious subjects. But it's the beginning of October now, and it's time for the dark side. Being the target of a wild predator of another species, most likely a quite hungry one, feels entirely different than being the target of a human's predatory greed. Humans have a much different idea of murder and death than wild animals do, because the human way is usually so full of animosity or insecurity. I mentioned something really briefly in a book I wrote, and I'm not going to give out that much detail here either, but the important part of it is that there was a time when I was younger much more rebellious. My head was not in the right place back then. 
I was doing some things that were not so intelligent. Nobody in this world is perfect. Anyway, I ended up in a situation with some people who were not the best to be surrounded by. And at one point of my self-destructive phase in life, I ended up with a barrel of somebody's gun pointed right between my eyes. And I was close to losing my life that night. Now that's long gone. That was years ago. It's in the past. I've moved on. And I'm way past that. And it didn't traumatize me for life or anything. But what I learned from these two things, the gun to the head versus a wildcat on my tail, is that the feeling that I could lose my life to a wild animal felt almost more acceptable than the feeling of losing my life to a person full of animosity. There's a distinct difference. You can understand why the animal wants to kill you. The animal's hungry and is just trying to find dinner. And there's this unsaid, invisible method to the universe and life and death. And this feels better, strangely enough. It feels organic. But the human with the violent tendencies, that's invasive. There's this other person who is no better than me, who's taken it upon themselves to decide that they'd like to snuff out my life. And that's where I feel the offense. That's where I feel the evil. Natural, wild, hungry, versus invasion, senseless brutality. I hadn't done anything so horrible to merit that kind of response. It came out of personal paranoia, something that was deep set in this person's mind, from a childhood trauma, no less, that caused this unnatural kind of violence. The hunger of a predator cat, on the other hand, well, that cat isn't thinking, I hate this person. They don't know what I'm going through. I don't want them to live anymore. If animals thought that way, we'd all be in trouble because it's easier for them to overpower and kill us than it is for us to do it. We generally need the help of weaponry. Now, all this eventually taught me how to reset my priorities in life. And that's the wonderful thing that came from these experiences. I'm not the only person who's ever been through any kind of traumatic situation. I've had several And I'm not alone in that either. I know plenty of other people who have suffered the most horrific circumstances. Terrible, unjust things. Things like this have happened to so many people that more than likely, I would dare to say that every second person that you meet in your life has suffered serious, debilitating things. Most of them just keep it to themselves. And there are tons of reasons behind that, too. So to assume that nobody understands us or to make these quick judgments that the people around us are sheltered or weak or stupid, well, that's just another self-absorbed way of looking at the world. Assuming that we're the only ones who's ever had it hard to take on that kind of mentality when dealing with other people is one of the biggest reasons behind the lack of compassion and respect for other people. And so then when we have something like a pandemic, now that self-absorbed attitude becomes costly to everybody. 
we've got to open ourselves up to each other and start understanding that we're not alone in the ways that we feel personally and the negative things that we might have suffered and start then reevaluating our priorities. Being close to death can cause you to reevaluate pretty quickly, too. Suddenly, you realize it's probably more important to be worried over something that could technically kill you instead of wasting your energy stressing over the science and logistics of a virus that nobody entirely understands yet. If you don't believe in something, don't assume that you can make everyone else not believe in that thing. So cut them a little slack and be considerate. That's all. That's all. Freedom. To feel like nobody is intrusively trying to kill you is an incredible feeling to have. And to allow self-absorption and stubbornness make somebody else feel stupid or fearful, it's harmful. You don't know where these people's fears stem from. Priorities do get easier when we find out that our lives are in danger, but we don't usually find that kind of thing out until it's almost too late. There's a lot of senseless death out in the wild, too. I've watched my extremely prey-driven dog harass and kill small animals simply because her instinct is to play with them until they're dead. And that's hard to watch. Even though I'm pretty seasoned in seeing death, it's still not easy for me. I'm fully aware that nature is a giant food chain, and both life and death are important in the balance of space and earth. But I don't like watching it. But I've never known a human being who didn't have some sort of emotional reasoning behind their need to harass and threaten violence on other people. Humans have so many issues that damage their sense of priority. A dog might find a wayward turtle in the road and end up killing it because of her prey drive. But she doesn't go out with an obsession for seeking revenge on turtles and keeping trophies of them in a closet after she's killed them. I've watched her. I've watched her behavior after killing the turtle. And she's not happy after it's dead. She gets over it pretty quick, yeah. But she's not like a a sociopathic serial killer who licks his lips and stretches his arms out to the sky to mimic sucking in their life energy or something weird like that. Predators in the wild aren't intentionally violent with the emotional goal of hurting somebody. They kill for food or for hunting practice. They develop their skill set so they can survive. They aren't out there to be badasses and prove they're better than you. Well, (laughs) maybe a domestic cat is. (laughs) They can be pretty evil. (laughs) But the wild cougar that stalked me, not evil. I didn't feel that at all, even if it wasn't hungry, even if it was simply curious and just felt like hunting me. It never felt evil. It never felt bad. It was scary, but I was almost okay with it. I was almost okay with dying that way. If that was to be my last night on this earth, didn't feel at all like a a human being with a bad intention behind his actions. And that's what made all the difference in the world, the intention. The intention between wild animals and humans has evolved into such a contrast. We've 
altered our sense of reality into something that is distinctly segregated from the natural world. Whether that's good or bad, I don't know. Maybe there are some good things about it, and I know there are some very, very bad things, but we have been modified. I find it really fitting to talk about things like this in the wake of the season of death, autumn, the beginning of the dying of nature, drying out and withering. This is the time I gather up all my fresh-picked herbs, flowers, and mullein, anything I want to dry out, and it hangs up in the rafters of the old haunted house here. It's the perfect spot for drying. The heat rises up there. The tin roof is like the, the rooftop of a barn, where North Carolinians and Virginians have dried tobacco for ages. Anytime you have rafters that catch the heat of the summer with a tin roof, it stays pretty dry in there. And you've got one of the most perfect places in the world for drying herbs and things. I read somewhere that in Chinese medicine, autumn is referred to as the season of grief, and it's associated with a color white and the sounds of weeping. I think that's strangely beautiful. It gives this dying season this kind of cool, clean, withering delicacy. The weeping is for the loss of life of spring and summer. I don't know. But it sure would make pretty song lyrics. I have mixed emotions, and they're strong, strong emotions that come when the weather gets cooler and life starts to die back. Sometimes I feel like a vampire with my own life intact, knowing I'll be sticking around through all the rest of the year while all this sweet, ethereal life around me is about to pass over and leave me here alone, living on with the cold wind and the quiet stars. The songs of frogs will start to fade out. The days will get shorter. The dusk takes on a whole different feeling. I never know if I'm excited or sad for the changes. Kind of a blend, I guess. And all that makes my mind slip back into that whole life and death food chain thing again. When I'm carving up my pumpkin this year, I'll be thinking about that cougar and how I'm sitting here meticulously cutting gashes and holes into this fleshy, squashy thing that was once alive who's been sacrificed to help sustain my life. I'm a serial killer of plants. I think about this because I'm a wilderness girl who doesn't dismiss the importance or the uniqueness of any life not even a pumpkin that was once living and thriving. You know, there are certain cultures that have this strange custom. Whenever a spouse or family member dies, the survivors consume the corpse of the deceased. And to turn down that practice is, or it was, considered rude or offensive. There are several of those cultures in South America uh, I think there's one in Asia, Africa, but the majority is down in South America. The Mayaruna, the Wari people. Now, I know the Yanomami people do it because they believe it keeps their dearly departed spirit alive for the next generations who come along. I don't know the, how the logistics of that works, but that's the idea. This is the season of vampires, cannibals, 
old skeletons and grim reapers. We're moving closer to Halloween. Pretty soon, paper witches and crunchy leaves will be blowing through the air. And that air will pick up and make all the wind chimes play music for fall. Sad, mysterious music. And the moon will get really, really big. And we'll all be able to smell that autumn flavor hanging around when we first wake up in the morning. You know, that fall smell. There's just something about it. And I don't know what Halloween's going to be like this year. I'll miss the way it looked before the pandemic. I never got to go trick-or-treating when I was little. We were in this weird cult church that didn't allow it. Said it was too close to a pagan holiday. Christmas wasn't allowed either. But Halloween, the Halloween holiday was the one that I really missed as a child and wanted to be a part of so bad. It looked fun. When I grew up, I was still obsessed with it. But people don't want to give out candy to old people dressed like hooligans. So the only way I was able to figure out how to trick or treat for the first time since I didn't get to as a kid. Well, I had these ferrets, two of them, a boy and a girl. They were so cute. I made them little costumes and took my ferrets trick-or-treating. It was a blast. I had a blast. People loved it. I got all sorts of candy. It was my first escapade into the world of Halloween and trick-or-treating, and I was in heaven. I'd made a vampire costume for the little boy ferret and a little witch costume for the girl, and she had a hat. They were so adorable, and they got petted a lot. And I even got invited inside this giant mansion of a house with the ferrets. These older couples were in there having a party that night. It was kind of fancy. They were a bit posh. (laughs) I didn't fit in at all. But I was so excited and happy that, that I believe that attitude seemed to just take over the room and the place. And everybody had a really good time together. It was great. And then I went back home with my ferrets, and I spread my candy out on my bed like a child and looked at it all like I'd won the lottery. (laughs) I was in my 30s, for real, and I was so happy. I know people are out there doing a lot of damage to each other right now, and I know the world isn't so nice sometimes. Believe me, I do know it, and I know that this year isn't going to be the same during the holidays, any of the holidays. But let's think about those better memories that we've made in our past. We made those. We made something beautiful. And let's think about what seasoned, stronger, and better people we've all finally become. And let's be grateful for that. Because those lessons, those experiences, those memories are pure magic. We're all still here. We're all a little better. And we've got good things and good memories attached to us forever. This has been Natural and Wild with me, Christine Grayson. I want to thank those from the bottom of my heart who have continuously and generously supported this show. Chris Nolan, Arnold Bloom, Robin Umber, Yvonne Ragland, Sheila McGregor, William Bishop, and Bruce Presson. I want to thank those who have helped me tremendously through their donations to the virtual tip jar. 
I may be getting a little bit darker this month with everything. The art, the podcasts, because we're moving closer to Halloween, my favorite holiday of the year. I'm feeling wicked, spicy, rebellious, all those tasty emotions that hit me and everybody else that I know personally this time of year. Have a great weekend and come back next week.